This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. What if you were heading to your dream job and everything was lined up and moving perfectly in your favor? And then your spouse says that they have a strong feeling that you shouldn't take the job. What would you do? My guest today faced this very dilemma. Stay tuned to hear their story. Let me tell you a little bit more about my guest. Nikita and Rafael Ortiz are both Air Force veterans and met while stationed in England. They've been married almost 30 years and have two children, Rafael Jr., 27, and Nayana, 26. Nikita has over 22 years experience in corporate management, recruiting, and human resources. Rafael has 24 years experience in information technology, where he's worked for Fortune 500 and local government organizations. Their passion to build community has led them to serve in church leadership positions and various nonprofit organizations. Nikita currently volunteers for Maternity House that provides temporary housing and support services to expectant teenage mothers. Most recently, Raphael served as national co-captain and director of marketing for Black Men Run, a national organization with a mission of improving the health and wellness of African-American men. They live an active, healthy lifestyle and enjoy live music and traveling. So thank you for being here, Raphael and Nikita. Welcome to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. Thank you Thank for, you having, for having, us. having us, Dr. Karen. I am delighted to have you here with me today. And the reason I really wanted you to be on the show today is that a little bit earlier this year, we were speaking together as a foursome. My husband was with us. You guys were there. We were in Dallas. And you just told an amazing story about your career opportunities and how God intervened. And so, Raphael, I'm going to start with you and ask you to tell the story about this job opportunity, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the details. Sure. Well, thanks for uh, thanks again for having us, Dr. Karen. Uh, well, in the year 2000, uh, as you know, we lived in Colorado Springs, and we left there. I, I got an opportunity to work with a company in San Francisco during a dot-com boom. That lasted for a little over a year. And after that job uh, folded, the company closed down, I took my talents to Washington, (laughs) D.C. And I landed in Washington, D.C. and posted my resume. And I got called in for an interview the very next day and did very well. It was a Department of Defense contractor um, that interviewed me, did very well on the interview, and they hired me on the spot. So this was in the year 2001, uh, in the summer of 2001. The job was a wonderful opportunity. I was fairly new in my IT career as a database administrator. And my position that I got hired for was to work at the Pentagon for the, the Department of Navy and actually supporting databases. 
for the Department of Navy. It required a top secret clearance and everything. So got the job. I was there a few months down the street from the Pentagon <clears throat> until they cleared my top secret clearance. In the meantime, I was learning everything about the position. My family was back in California, packing things up for us to move from California to DC, our, our new home. I took some time off uh, in August, 2001 to go back to California and relocate my family to DC. And our plan was to drive cross country from California. We made a pit stop in Phoenix to visit my family, my dad and my sisters, aunts and uncles, they all lived in Phoenix. And we stayed a few days to visit with them. And the, and the plan was to go immediately from Phoenix to Washington, DC. And we just felt so comfortable and so good around my family that my wife suggested a crazy idea. She said, hey, instead of going to DC, why don't we just stay here with your family <laughs> in Phoenix? And to me, it was ludicrous because I had a wonderful opportunity, a new job, working at the Pentagon with top secret clearance. And I just thought that, you know, we were set making good money. And she said, I don't have a good feeling about the position and us going to the DC area. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, well, you're in IT, you're a database administrator, you can pretty much work anywhere. And I said, well, I don't think I can make the kind of money in the Phoenix area that I was making in the DC area. She said, well, I don't have a good feeling. And, and, and if you want, you can probably just go on your own <laughs> and, and we'll stay here in the Phoenix area with your family and your dad. And I said, wow, you know, it's that serious. You're that adamant that you would let me go and just stay with the kids, with my family in the Phoenix area. And I tossed and turned that night that we talked about it and I just could not sleep. And in the middle of the night, around three o'clock in the morning, I just finally woke up and I sent an email to my boss and I said, hey, thank you for the opportunity. I had been there a few months. I said, thank you for the opportunity, but I think I'm gonna resign. Everyone thought I was crazy, including my family. <laughs> But that was the best decision for us. That was in August 2001. And I ended up finding a, a job in the Scottsdale area in Arizona. And I started the brand new position making the same amount of money that I was making in the DC area. And I was working for a great company as a database administrator. And my first day on the job was September 10th. And then September 11th happened. And I learned that the plane that actually hit the Pentagon landed at what would have been my office. And it actually killed a few of my coworkers that I had interviewed with and I would have been working with. So the likelihood of me being there was great because while I was in Arizona, received a call from my boss and saying, hey, we're finalizing your clearance. So when you get back to the DC area, you're gonna move from the Pentagon city office into the Pentagon and start working because you, you'll be cleared by then. But what I thought was a great opportunity probably would have ended my life. And it, it, you know, it was actually my wife who had a feeling deep down that you know, it was not the right opportunity for us. And she's the one that you know, suggested that I resign, and which I did. And I like to believe that that act of faith saved my life. And because of that, that's where we are today. That was a position that I thought was certainly for me, but it turned out not to be the right decision. To me, Raphael, this is just an amazing story because at the time when it looked like all green lights 
all the doors are open. You're moving forward in the direction that you want to be in and that you want to go. And then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, Nikita gets this feeling that this isn't for us. And so much so, she said, you could go, but we're not going. People don't know you, but I'll say this. That's not like Nikita to say you go and we not go. So Nikita, I'm going to turn to you. What was it that was in your spirit? What was revealed to you? And how hard was it to bring this up to Raphael? I was so excited about everything. And we were going to make that transition. And Raph's dad had this huge house. We were still looking for housing in that area. So I said, hey, let us just go out there and spend some time with him. That was, would be in transition. And then we'll have, you'll have more time as we're looking to get a home. And when we got there, we again, still excited about everything. And then something just came over me. It came over me. It wasn't fear of moving, because we love traveling and moving, but I totally can't put my um, hand on it, but something came over me to whereas I had to tell him, this was not going to be the move for us. And I you know, asked myself, how are you gonna tell him that? You know, He's been waiting for this. So I, I just prayed about it. I didn't open my mouth at the time I prayed. And I told him, hey, Ralph, I don't think this move is for us. And he looked at me a little, why would you say that? And I went back and prayed again, because when I did explain to him why, I just, I couldn't give him the reasons. Again, we, he, we were still going to follow through. And I just went back in that prayer closet and asked God to speak through me. I said, speak through me, take me out of it so that you can speak through me because he's not going to here, I have to disappear in this. And so going back and praying and asking God, please speak through me, because there was just this convicting feeling I had. And I did say those things I said, because I explained to him again. And I said, well, if you go, we won't go. Again, that's not me. But I had to say that because I knew Ralph wasn't going to leave without us. <laughs> so I had to say that, hey, if you go, then we're going to stay here. And then you're just going to go on your own. You know, what's interesting, Nikita, is first of all, this whole thing is bathed in prayer. OK, mm-hmm. which is really important because you know that God is working behind the scenes in it some kind of way. And that simple prayer request that God speak through you and move you out of it. And God knows what language we each speak and how to get our attention, so to speak. And so when you said you go and we're not going, clearly that's so different from how you normally operate. And it would punctuate the seriousness of this message. So Raphael, I'm going to come back to you for a second. When she said that, there are a lot of things a man could think when his wife says that. So what are some of the things that went through your mind? The first thing was, uh, you're tripping. <laughs> you're crazy. I'm like, what? This is crazy. I think part of it too was the year prior, we had just made a major move where a company again relocated us from Colorado Springs to the San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, it was a great opportunity, but a year, a little over a year, later the company folded so here we were again making another major move and i think part of it was you know she didn't want to move from one coast to the next she said we already made a major move from colorado to san francisco now we're moving from san francisco to the dc area 
we're chasing something. I know that you're brand new in your career, you're chasing, but you don't have to chase that far. She said, we're fine right here in the Phoenix area. And look at the fact that you have family around, which is something that we didn't have in Colorado. Uh, you know, we had a church family and friends, but we always wanted to be around family. So here we were in Phoenix making a supposed pit stop on our way to DC. And she was like, we have everything we need here with family. Why keep going? and chasing things. So initially I thought she was crazy. I said, you're tripping. But then I really maybe just looked into her eyes and just felt the seriousness and the conviction as she mentioned that she didn't have a good feeling about the move. And, I, and she couldn't pinpoint it as she said. She didn't, she didn't know why, but she knew something was, wasn't quite right. And I had already been at the job a few months. I think there were a few indicators while I was at the job, a few things happened that probably said to me, ah, this may not be the right place. I know you got the job in one day <laughs> and, and, you know, and they liked you and, and, and it was a, a fast opportunity, but it may not quite be the right one. But I didn't want to hear that because I was looking at the dollars <laughs> and, and I was looking ahead. I was saying, okay, this is going to lead to something greater. So I was chasing what that greater was and just wasn't looking at the fact that maybe this is not the right opportunity. I think it took a lot to listen under those circumstances and to really hear when it looked like the doors were open. There were a few little indicators that maybe thing wasn't perfect, but not enough to probably stop you without Nikita right. speaking up, right? It was definitely her that made me listen. And there have been instances throughout our 30 years of marriage along the way where she has spoken up and was adamant about stuff. And I had to listen because it was the right decision. I mean, she has saved us from a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really important thing. You know, I think that wives are brought into the picture to sort of like compliment their husbands. Sometimes you will have different gifts from what your husband has. And the two of you will be better together than any one of you could be alone. And since Raphael says that many times over the years, you've kind of said something that maybe have saved the day and it was something that he wasn't thinking about. So how would you say, Nikita, that God has worked through you so that the two of you actually are in a better place in general? I would say stand aligned with God. Raph is a wonderful leader. I mean, I hate to brag on my husband, but he's my safe place. His actions and intentions are always for the family. It's easy for me to allow my husband to lead. At the same time, I am a person as well. And when that conviction came over me in the different times, um, especially with the situation going into the East Coast, I would say it's just having that faith, you know, having to believe that whatever you're feeling and believing that conviction and believing that your faith is going to overcome this possible fear of failure. And I had to stand on that. It wasn't easy to tell my husband, I don't think we should move. Like he said, it sounded crazy. So it wasn't easy for me to tell him, I don't think we should move. Mm -hmm. So looking back on this incident and other incidents like it in your relationship, what would you both say that you've learned from this? Well, I definitely listen to your wife. We have a running joke. <laughs> I remember we took a cruise. I think it was 2006. We, we took a, a, a cruise to Mexico. We took the kids with us. And there was a, a hairy men's chest hair contest. There were guys up there 
just going crazy. Most of them were drunk. And this one guy who won, he actually came off the stage over to us. We were cheering everyone on. And he's drunk. He has on just a Speedo <laughs> with no shirt. And he comes over to us and he looks at us and he says, that's your wife? I said, yeah. He said, listen to her. And he just walked away. <laughs> so every time now, and it's, this has been the running joke since like 2005, 2006 when, when this happened. Every time she's telling me something and I don't want to listen, she always puts on that man's voice and she acts drunk listen to her and it just something clicks and be like you know what you're right i need to listen to you so that's just how it's been I, I trust my wife the thing that we have to remember and i tell this to any married couple you have to remember that you should have your spouse's best interest at heart with everything every decision that we make and anything that we discuss i'll always keep that in the back of my mind that my wife always has the best intentions for my heart and for our family Amen. it's easy for me to listen with that framework with that mindset absolutely nikita what would you say you learned through all this some of the lessons i learned is because i'm i would say leaning on god when it comes to those big decisions you know instead of just having an opinion about things learning to trust to lean on god to believe and then to speak when he wants me to speak to my husband. I love jokes. I'm always, we always cracking jokes and laughing and so forth. And, you know, Raph, he, he has understood when I'm serious and I really want to talk to him about something. He trusts my actions because I think he believes that I'm going to definitely walk in that, that space with God and vice versa. And that just has kept us um, as a team. Amen. I love that. Kept you as a team. You know, it makes me think about Proverbs um, 3 and 5 and 6, where it talks about, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Because sometimes what God is seeing is far beyond what we can see with our limited human vision. And so, Nikita, you've come back over and over to say, trusting God, listening to God, the faith walk, the prayer, because it's through these mechanisms that God is really revealing what he has in mind for the two of you going forward. I think that's a huge piece of your story. And I want to make sure that we capture that and highlight is that it's a God thing. We walk by faith and not by sight, you know, because what we see is usually not the whole picture and God sees everything. In that sense, I think that's such an important part of what you have shared. So tell us a little bit about your your relationship in general, your marriage over the years. How did you meet? And what are some of the other ways that you believe that the two of you complement each other? Well, give me a second to think about it. I'll let Ralph go first. (laughs) Well, okay. so we met in England overseas. Uh, We were stationed in the military, uh, in the Air Force at RAF Bent Waters, and we actually worked together at the dental clinic. We were both dental hygienists and dental assistants, and we were friends early on. You know, she was dating someone at the time, and I was new to the Air Force. She had already been in England for o- over a year, so she knew the lay of the land. Um, and I was the new guy, and I would ask her questions about everything from, hey, the girls here on base to where do we go? What do we do? And we just hit it off as great friends initially. And then, you know, over time we started dating and here we are 
together now 32 years, uh, married almost 30 years. We try to keep our marriage vibrant by having fun and just continuing to date. We make it a point to court one another still. You know, I take her out to, to eat. I'm still opening the doors for her and, you know, try to be a gentleman as much as possible. That friendship, what started out as friendship has continued throughout our marriage and even the rocky parts of our marriage. I always remember that's your friend. That's your best friend. And I never want to lose my best friend. And uh, that's what keeps the flames uh, lit and, and keeps our marriage going. I love that. So Nikita, what would you add? And I would add also just having those hard conversations. You know, we have to have hard conversations and to listen to one another, really take each other serious when we need to, that seriousness, growing in love, not judging. We learn to forgive fast. And that, that was learned. We learned that. We didn't come into the relationship forgiving quickly, but we learned to forgive quickly. But yes, friendship was a huge part of why we're continuing to stay together and, and having and trying and keeping this vibrant marriage as best as we can. So I'm hearing a couple of things I want to just highlight for those who are listening. Friendship. A lot of people skip friendship and go on to other things, but friendship is the foundation. It's the base. And you built a relationship on friendship. And as Raphael, as you said, you continue to have fun together. You continue to date. You really are valuing each other, even 30 plus years later in that sense, rather than taking anything for granted. And then the key to you says, it's not all fun and games. We got to talk about the tough stuff too. And through that, and because you have the base of friendship, I would imagine, too, it's easier to have some of those tough conversations and to forgive fast when you need to. So, I mean, those are marriage success strategies right there. So I want to say that right now. <laughs> I know that both of you over the years, you've had careers doing different things along the way. Let's talk a little bit about your work histories and specifically how you've seen yourself integrating your faith with your work. Talk a little bit about how that's manifested or played out in your lives. Okay. So when I was in the Air Force, I was a dental assistant and I loved it. And I got out of the Air Force. I went into expanded dentistry because I wanted to stay into that for a little bit. We had our kids and I was grateful and fortunate enough to be a stay-home mom for a little bit. And um, with my little career-minded, I wanted to get right back in there and I did. Found a great babysitter. So I was right back into work. So I did maybe about 15 years of regional direct and director and training in corporate management, sales, and as well as recruiting. Now I'm an HR recruiter. I feel like I just fit right into that, um, just being very ethical, you know, which is part of my leadership skills, being authentic, which is part of my leadership skills again. Um, and I think those things have helped me to continue to progress in those skills of leadership, um, being transparent. I'm perfectly okay with transparency. Those three things are big for me. And in the transparency, it's okay that who I am in public is not so much different than who I am in private. So I think that has helped a lot too. And always making sure whoever I'm managing to make sure that they have a say. Sometimes people can teach you things. So, and I want them to feel a part of whatever that vision is. I always want to let them know where we're going so they understand people will work harder for you as well and making sure that they feel a part of. Okay. I do that in my marriage too. 
<laughs> well, like you said, what you see at work is what you also see at home. So that's a good deal. Yeah. How about you, Raphael? Yeah. Well, you know, the great commandment is, you know, to, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. So I try to remember that. I love what Nikita said. You know, she tries to be the same person in private and public. I think authenticity is just something that that's just how we roll. <laughs> you know, we, we, we try to be as authentic. What you see is what you get whether I'm in a leadership position or I'm out with my friends, I just try to be as authentic as possible. But how do I integrate my faith into my leadership style, remembering that I have to love the Lord and I have to love my neighbors as myself. So I have to show the love of God. When I'm at work or in any uh, position of, of leadership, leading others, I don't beat people up with the Bible, but I show the love of God. So I remember that every person has value and every person has worth. So we have to love people despite our differences. So that's one way of innovating my faith. And then extend grace and compassion. People, none of us get things right. We make mistakes. You know, being in IT, sometimes, you know, you have code that goes around. You make a mistake. You put in a file where it shouldn't be and things bomb out. There are different errors. Uh, and people have great expectations of systems working right. And they come to you and they're upset. Well, I can't take things personal. I have to show grace. I have to co show compassion and then show empathy. That and, and remember that when people come to me as an IT professional, as a, a technologist, when they come to me with problems, they're not taking things out on me personally. They're upset with a problem. And sometimes people bring their own personal problems into work and they take things out on you and they lash out with anger and all of that. You have to remember that we all are out here, you know, living life and trying to do our best. And sometimes it doesn't come across as uh, loving and caring towards others. So when I'm getting the brunt of it, I can't respond in kind. I have to respond with compassion, with grace. And that's one way of another way of me uh, living out my faith at work. You both have really shared some powerful things about being honest, being authentic, and then showing up with love in the workplace, having the compassion, understanding that people are going through things. And it's not even always yeah. about us when they look like they're retaliating <laughs> against us. So every mm -hmm. day you have an opportunity to really reflect I would say the love of God, you have an opportunity to live out the fruit of the spirit is what I really hear both of you in essence Absolutely. talking about. And the workplace needs so much of that right now. Sometimes people are so angry or they're so oppressed in various ways. And to have a word of encouragement or to have someone who has compassion with mistakes and all of that, they may not get that from another boss. So you are really, you're showing the love of God whether you quote a Bible verse or not is really Absolutely. what you talk about. So Raphael, this, this next question is kind of for you. And, and Nikita, if you have something to say about it, that's fine too. But Raphael, in your case, I know that you were also in the ministry more directly, like in a church-based ministry, it's like an assistant mm -hmm. minister in churches and so on. And you've also been in the marketplace. And one of the beliefs that I have is that God is raising up marketplace ministry leaders. There is ministry to be done in the workplace, not just in the church house. Since you have been in both places, Raphael, 
what would you say is maybe the difference between the two or even some similarities? Just weigh in on the fact that you've experienced both. And what can you say about marketplace ministry? Great question. Well, marketplace ministry, I think the difference between that and being a leader in church is that you don't know the faith and the religious background of others. You have to show the love of God without being judgmental or without uh, beating people up because they don't have the same faith as you. Being authentic and also just remembering the differences and that people have worth and value even if they don't believe the same thing or think the same way. And just navigating through those relationships. You know, we talked about Nikita and I being friends at first and continuing the friendships. I think in order to be successful, you have to somehow be friends with those people that you are interacting with in the marketplace, have something in common. So I'll give you a great example. I'm always trying to find something to connect with everyone that I meet. It it doesn't matter if it's sports. So I'm always prying, you know, I'm inquisitive. I ask questions about uh, where you live. Are you the only child? You know, something that we can have some commonality with. And I think building that friendship and building that trust can go a long ways as we're leading with the love of God in the marketplace. In other words, the same thing that makes the marriage work, that friendship base is also what makes other relationships work, including in the workplace. And you said again about valuing other people and realizing that all people have value, even if they have a different perspective, you know, from our own perspectives, they still have value. Absolutely. Nikita, is there anything you want to say about that? Because you've watched this over the years too. Feel free if there's anything you want to add. I have watched it and um, I think we've learned a lot from each other and how we operate and picked up on what's good and what's worked and worked on things with ourselves that is not working. But then again, just with grace and so forth, I also have in HR and prior to HR being a regional director, you know, you hire, but you have to fire people. And I learned to do that, giving grace where people actually felt respected and felt like, you know what, it's probably time for us to, for me to leave because I am not doing this or I'm not a good fit here. But I never really can remember really someone getting so upset with me after I had to let them go. Um, But yeah, grace given and empowering people and encouraging. I love that because what we're saying is that even in the tough roles in the workplace, because of the commitments that we have as people of faith, we do that even better than some other people might do it, you know, really honoring and respecting the people and encouraging them because there is a place where they may fit better and might be better suited to their gifts and their callings and so on. And acknowledging that rather than say, you've just been a dirt ball here, so you're a dirt ball, period. I mean, that's not the way to look at it because every one of us that God has created is a wonderful person may not be a wonderful fit here, but that doesn't mean that you're not wonderful somewhere else. So thank you, Nikita, for saying that, because I think that's really an important aspect of what we have an opportunity to do every day in the workplace, to give people hope, you know, to give them that grace of God, if you will. Now, I know that the two of you also have some guiding principles about how you lead your life. So tell us about those guiding principles. What are they? And How do you use them on a daily basis? I like to name things in a way that they're easy for me to remember. So 
our guiding principles are all start with the letter F. So faith, family, friendships, fitness, and fun. Those are the things that we live by. Faith obviously, you know, guides everything that we do. Uh, I believe, you know, my wife has a closer relationship to God than anybody I know. (laughs) So we just try to make sure that we're connected to God and his spirit and just listen to his leading. Our family comes first. You know, it's easy, particularly in church. You know, we've worked in church for such a long time. And I don't know where this concept of, you know, God first, then others, then you came from. That's crazy because you'll, you'll, <laughs> if you're not taking care of yourself and your family, you're no good for anyone else. So I try <laughs> to remember that, yes, God is first, but then my family needs to be, you know, right, right after that. I don't put others before my family. So faith is first, then my family. I want to make sure that my wife and my children are taken care of. Thirdly, friendships. We value friendships, you know, and we make sure that we have healthy friendships. So we have friends that we travel with. We have friends that we do business with. Every friendship that we have, I think, needs to be reciprocal. There were times where we had friends or people that we thought were friends, but they were just really pulling from us too much and not giving back and replenishing. So we're very discerning about the type of friends that we keep around. Fitness, I think it's important. You know, our bodies are the temple of God. So we, we, you know, we have to take care of them. So fitness is a big part of our life. So I'm into endurance sports. Uh, so, you know, cycling and running. And uh, Nikita just bought a brand new road bike. Uh, that I've been trying to get her for the last 10 years. So now we're both uh, cyclists together. So, you know, we incorporate fitness and, you know, we were part of run clubs and we go to the gym together and try to stay healthy. And I think that's a biblical principle. I think it was in first John, I can't remember the exact scripture, but it says, I want you to prosper and be in good health. So I think by us staying healthy, staying fit, I think it's a spiritual act of worship to God. So that's, that's one of our principles. And then lastly, we've been saying that we have fun. We laugh a lot. We take trips together. We go to different events to just keep the marriage flowing and vibrant and just fun filled. Those are the five principles for us. Faith, family, friendships, fitness, and fun. I think this first John might be for third verse that talks about the, what you just said about your soul yeah. being in health and all of that. that. That long list of things. Friendship is right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Nikita, what else would you add about these guiding principles and how you see them? He touched, and it, it's so funny because a lot of the things, I, I just feel we've been together for so long. And he just said a lot of probably what I was going to say. I can say that Ralph is a runner. I'm not. So as we're getting a little bit older, I know he. we're recreation partners. We like to do things together. Ronnie, you know, so he finally talked to me into buying this road bike. Now, Karen, I have bikes, but this road bike is, you have these special shoes. You clip that shoe into this, to the bike, into the pedal. So you're locked in. It took me a long time to be able to finally want to do that. But again, because of our fitness and our fun together, I'm thinking, you know what, Nick? overcome this. You can overcome. That's where faith comes in again. You can overcome this. I wanted to go roadie with my husband and we got this bike and I have clipped in the pedals and we are just rolling. But it takes a lot of faith again. But um, family, of course, our family is going to, like he said, we put our family up there. We have to. Friends, we learn to nurture. Specifically me. 
you want friends, you have to give and receive, you know? So you have to nurture relationships. And I've, I've learned that over years. And then we talked about um, faith and just having fun. So we just try to keep things light. Again, life is heavy. You know, life can be heavy. Raph and I just try to get through with um, trying to keep things as light as we can. I love the fact that you say that just in order to have things that you do together, it might even take a little sacrifice to learn something new. You can have separate interests like Raphael running and you not running, but you want to have something that you both enjoy and that you can do together. I think that's really important. And that's also another success tip, if you will, for marriage. So let me ask you about this next thing. What I'm, what I often talk about is living leadership legacy. In other words, not just what happens today, but thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow and the baton that you're passing to the next generation. And specifically, as I'm thinking about your two children, how are you passing your spiritual legacy onto them? I would say because spiritual is it. I I think just having that relationship with God, we talk about that all the time, is everything. And so as they're going through life, you know, we have always had an open communication with our children. I am very blessed that they, they, we communicate a lot. They talk to us just about everything. (laughs) Yes. So they're, they're in a different phase now because they're becoming, they are young, they're adults. So I have to remind them, you know, you are an adult. We're not going to tell you, go to church, go to church, go to church. You have to make that decision. But it's more important to have that relationship with God. And when you're making big decisions, you know who to go to. You know what to do. If you're in a bind, you know where your faith lies. So it's just continuing to remind them. And thank goodness they don't shut me down. We hope that maybe we've done that part right. Because sometimes kids are like, "Ah, I don't want to hear it. But when they come and they want answers, I'll give them a little bit, but I'm not going to tell them what to do because they have to make those decisions for themselves. But I'm going to tell them what to lean on, who to lean on. Okay, Raphael. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, so our kids grew up as preacher's kids. (laughs) So, you know, again, as you mentioned, we were in ministry, served as associate pastor. We served in several ministries from youth and children's ministries to marriage ministries, you name it. So our kids were always on guard. We would tell them, oh, you have to be, you have to be careful, especially growing up. You know, uh, you have to be careful with what you say and do because it's a reflection on the entire family. So I think we put a lot of undue pressure, unnecessary pressure on them. So I think to some degree they rebelled once they hit their teenage years. They're like, I oh, we're tired of this church stuff. But we always instilled in them the love of God and the importance to have a personal relationship with him despite of where your parents and in their leadership, you know, position. So we always kept them involved in, you know, different programs in church. But I'm happy to say that as they've grown into their 20s, they've developed their own relationship uh, with God. And they know, they, I mean, they, they know God for themselves. It was just last week or uh, this past weekend, my son called, he's 27. He called my wife and he said, I just want to thank you guys because I learned a lot about having the right character from dad. He said, mom, you've taught me a lot. Dad always talked to me about having the right character. He said, I have a lot of friends who I don't even hang out with anymore because they just don't have the right character. They're into a lot of stuff. And he said, and I look at it and I'm like, 
nah, that's not me. I'm proud to say that he, every lesson that we've taught him and everything that we instilled in him from church, he's followed. There were, again, periods in their young adult life where, you know, they, they were just wilding and doing whatever they wanted. But when you train up a child, as the Bible says, the way that he should go, okay, it will not depart from you. Both of my kids, I, I, I'm proud to say that they have a strong personal relationship with God because of what we've been able to instill in them from early on in their lives. You know, I'm just so delighted because what I hear you both saying is that you've laid a foundation and the foundation has been strong. And so therefore they understand the importance of having their own relationship with God. They understand that in order to make decisions, they've got to go to the source of God for that godly counsel. They're at the stage now where they're not just doing what mom and dad say, but yet they're influenced by what you have modeled and what you have taught them and what you've shown them over the years. And the fact that they talk to you about everything or anything says you have been successful because in a lot of families, that just doesn't happen. So it means there's a strong trust that's been built. And all the things that you said about the workplace, you're saying we've modeled that in our home and this is the picture of it. So it's, that's the reality of it. So thank you for sharing how it's worked in the living leadership legacy that you're passing on to your children. Very powerful, very profound, what you have laid in place and how they're living it out now in this generation. And then Hopefully they'll be passing it on to their children when they have children in their lives as well. So Raphael, I'm coming back to you. I know that you are, as Nikita said, an avid runner. You're also a cyclist. Both of you are committed to fitness. So tell us a little bit more about how you got started on the fitness journey. And you are also very active in Black Men Run. Talk about that. These are things that are kind of like passions for you and something that's been a joy. And you've had leadership roles as well. My husband and I have seen you in your picture on the front of covers of magazines in Arizona and all of this. So this is not just a passing hobby. This is big. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, when I turned 40, that's when I had a wake up call. It seemed like there were so many artists or uh, sports figures that were dying at a young age. And when I, so when I turned 40, I just looked at the list of everyone that died between 40 and 42 that were big in, in, you know, in, in their industries. And I said, you know what? I want to live as long as I can. So I need to get my health together. I ran track in high school. Um, then, of course, we got married. I had kids. My kids always ran track from the age five all the way up to they graduated from high school. Always be around the track. And I would play around with running every now and then. But I was not healthy and active, not until I turned 40. So 10 years ago, I picked up running and cycling. I, we happened to move into a neighborhood where everyone seemed like was a runner and cyclist, and I didn't want to be the odd man out. <laughs> so I bought a bike and I started running and it was around a time where our marriage just wasn't that great. I just wasn't healthy. I didn't, I didn't like who I was. So running, I would like to say, not only saved my life, but saved our marriage to some degree, because I would be out there running you know, three, four or five miles and I'm listening to gospel music, listening or talking to God and I'm crying while I'm running. So not only did I lose weight, but I lost a lot of the heaviness that I had and a lot of insecurities and, and just negative self thoughts that I had. So one day in uh, early 2012, I signed up for a race and I came in fifth in my age group. And four weeks later, I ran a half marathon 
And I've been bitten with the running bug ever since. So for the last 10 years, I've been running either half marathons, full marathons, 10Ks, 5K races. I've done, uh, I did a bike race in Mexico, which was great. And then I found uh, Black Men Run through social media, a movement that had been growing rapidly throughout the, the, the country. And I reached out to them and said, hey, how do we start a chapter in Phoenix where we lived at the time? Um, so I founded the chapter there with uh, a couple of guys, and then we did so well in Phoenix that I was promoted through the organization for several positions and ended up ultimately in 2020 being selected to run the prestigious Boston Marathon because of my work in uh, Black Men Run. It caught the attention of one of the sponsors of the Boston Marathon, and they were putting together a team of community builders, people throughout the country and different organizations that were doing great things. And they heard about our story and Black Men Run and my role in the organization. And uh, I was selected as a team of 20 uh, people throughout the country to run the Boston Marathon and represent Black Men Run. So that was a great honor for me. And I'm continuing to stay active. I'm now here in Dallas with uh, another running group. It's been a, a pleasure. I think running is a way where everyone has a common goal. It doesn't matter what your age, what your race, what your religion, we all have a common enemy. And that is <laughs> those miles. And we have a common goal, which is the finish line. So it's a great way to build friendships and community. And I have friends that I've made throughout the entire country as a result of my involvement with running. And yes, I've been featured in you know a couple of publications and all of that. You know, that's the added benefit. But the friendships that I've built because of running it's a wonderful thing, long lasting. You know, I, I heard a couple of things in there that I just want to highlight, Raphael, which is that, you know, we think about running and, and we think about fitness for sure. And what I heard is not only the, the physical fitness, there was kind of a spiritual fitness component in your case as well, as God is speaking to you and, and through the gospel music and, all, and so on as you're running. So you're just getting your life together on multiple planes through the running, and then again, developing more friendships as you go along. So we don't know how God is going to reach our heart and actually just build us into better people. And sometimes it goes from physical to spiritual or spiritual to physical. So I love the way you connected those two and how that it made the marriage even better as a result. So thank you, Raphael, for sharing about that. Nikita, I want to ask you about the work that you're doing with the maternity house and for the teenage girls who are facing pregnancy. Tell us about that and any other thing that you're passionate about, because that's one of your services to the community right now. I'm so blessed that here in Dallas, I have a good friend who runs the maternity house, Viola's house, and I'm honored that I'm able to volunteer. I'm going to, I'm tapping into it. Again, it is the young ladies who may have been in foster care and in some states that they, you know, once they turn 18, you know, those parents who were raising them at one, you know, in foster care, kind of put them out in the streets and so forth. So she has built this with her church and um, she housed a few young ladies. I love to go over there, kind of love on them and help with the babies. And I'm getting ready to get plugged into where I am going to be able to start being on the rotation to teach on Thursday night. So I'm pretty excited about that, but donating clothes to them and sitting with them, pouring into them, spending time, I spend time with them in the kitchen while they're making tacos and things like that. But I'm looking forward to actually really doing that. Even when I was in King Solomon in Colorado Springs, just 
the ministry that we used to have with the homeless. You know, I was just, we were always involved in that. And I just, just something that is passionate with giving back. Growing up where I grew up in Oakland, I saw things. My mom had us sheltered, but I would see things and I would see how people can, you know, all of a sudden fall by the way. Maybe sometimes not their, I guess would say their reasons or their fault, so forth, but not having the resources. Um, so I've seen that. So to help, my passion comes from being able to put myself out there to help with any resources, any encouragement, and then helping them as my girlfriend is running with this curriculum of dreaming, dreaming differently, you know? So it's just in me and I, I, I feel like I, I need to do it more. I have so much more to give. I'm going to, and it's just a thing that I just love to do. I think, you know, we, we've tried to live a life of service where, you know, we served in the military, every city that we've lived in, we've done some type of community service and given back, you know, we've been involved in church ministries from a leadership perspective or volunteering. But I just think it's important for us to use our skills and our abilities and our resources and knowledge to just give back and just try to build community and make improvements wherever we are, you know, and just try to be a shining light and an example of goodwill and love and compassion towards others. I think that sums it up that both of you live a life of service and it goes beyond just the two of you and also beyond your family to reach out to other people in the community as well as in the workplace. So thank you very much for sharing all of that with us. And how can people reach you? How can people get a hold of you if they want to? I'm at Nikita Ortiz. 21 at gmail.com. That's a, that's a good email to reach me at. Nikita Ortiz, 21 at gmail.com. Can you spell Nikita, please? Yes. N-I-K-I-T-A-O-R-T-I-Z, the number two and one at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Nikita. And then I'll give you two emails for me, uh, Raf P-R Ortiz. So that's R-A-F-P-R-O-R-T-I-Z at gmail.com. And also Raphael dot ortiz at blackmenrun.com so that's r-a-f-a-e-l dot o-r-t-i-z at b-l-a-c-k-m-e-n-r-u-n.com blackmenrun.com all right thank you so much we have a few minutes left and what i want you guys to think about is the audience here our corporate christian executives marketplace ministry leaders what final words of wisdom would you like to leave with them? You know, I've always stood on this one saying, it's the serenity prayer. And that has done wonders for me. So I would just, you know, that whole prayer, and I like to just recite it real quick. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. And I think, uh, you know, we've talked about being authentic in relationships. So just being an authentic leader, leading with love, remembering to extend grace and compassion. And then finally, do not let your ego get in the way and try to recognize when it's time to move on, you know, have some type of succession planning. I think it's important for us as leaders to build people to come behind us and take up the mantle and take things to a level that perhaps we couldn't. Remember that you've done great, but there's always greater. So build people up and teach them how to come and do greater things than us. 
Excellent. So that's living leadership legacy at work. So <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here with me. My special guests today, Nikita and Rafael Ortiz. And hopefully I'll see you again in the future. You might have another story to share on another show. That would be great. But for now, I want to close with two Bible verses. The first one is Genesis, the second chapter and verse 24. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's a lot that could be said about becoming one flesh. One part I want to highlight in today's episode is that God gives insight to husbands, insight to wives. And when we put it together, we have a oneness and a wisdom that goes beyond what either one would have on their own. That's certainly been clear. And it was life-saving wisdom in your case. So we want to remember that. (laughs) Then the second verse is Proverbs 18 and 22, which says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And that has certainly been the case with the two of you. Raphael, you're blessed. You found a good wife. (laughs) As you say, she's she's closer to the Lord than most people that you know. The family has been blessed as a result. So I say to the audience out there, remember these things that we've been talking about today and also implement them for your lives. Build strong families because Life is more than work, and you want your family to thrive as well. So remember them, not just the workplace corporate executive, but also remember what really matters in your home. See you next time. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening, and remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.